0: and then getting gradually more challenging with neutral people, difficult people, so on. And in some ways also in these afternoon sessions as we're going through the different uh, Brahma-viharas, the different divine abodes, we're going similarly, uh, the natural sequence is one that ends up with what I think is among the most complex of them, to both understand what it is and actually to practice, uh, which is the practice of equanimity. But actually couples well with working with the difficult person, too. So the, the, these four different states of metta, compassion, appreciative joy, equanimity are four of these uh, divine abodes. And you could say it's like the map for the heart. So we generally can develop the mind that rests in well-wishing, a sense of kindness or uh, positive regard for ourselves and other beings. And then when we encounter someone who's suffering, then it can naturally just shift to sense of compassion. So from just oh, may you be well, may you be safe, may you be healthy, in seeing a being in suffering, it can be like, oh, may you be free from suffering. Like, oh, I, I can see that you're in pain, right? And then if you see someone who's already happy, then it can be like, oh, I hope your happiness continues. Like, may your joy increase. And then underlying all of that is this state of equanimity. So it's, all of that can be held within this sense of, at the same time as we're wishing all these things, understanding that we're actually not in control of that. So things unfold in the world, in our own lives, in other people's lives uh, according to different laws, causes, effects that have to do with not just what we are wishing for them. So here has come some of the answer to what uh, someone asked uh, earlier about like, but what about the Dharma and the questions, everything's impermanent and suffering and all of that. So equanimity is where you get to wrap it all up again in some ways and uh, take that bigger perspective, you know, holding it all uh, with some balance. So equanimity is having a balanced ability to be present with what is there for ourselves, for others, uh, and to hold in some perspective all of the different changes and all of the different circumstances that happen to us in our life. So the Buddha talked about uh, eight worldly winds that blow across our lives, the lives of ourselves and others, and that none of us can escape. So these are the winds of uh, pleasure and pain, of gain and loss, of praise and blame, and what's translated as fame and disrepute. So basically, no matter how lucky you are, good-looking, rich, famous, anything, you know. Sometimes you get things and sometimes you'll lose things. That's part of life. Sometimes you'll have pleasant sensations in your body or pleasant things happen to you. And sometimes you'll have painful sensations in your body and painful things will happen to you. Sometimes people will say good things about you and sometimes people will say bad things about you and blame you for things. And this happens to everyone, even the most saintly of people. In fact, even more to the most saintly of people, you know. (laughs) Sometimes you'll have a lot of people around you, have a good reputation, and sometimes uh, that will not be the case. So can we stand in the middle of this with some stability, without being blown around by all these worldly winds? So there's some poems that are written by uh, Buddhist nuns on their enlightenment that I find very inspiring. It's called the Terigata. It's like inspired utterances by Buddhist nuns. And there's one very beautiful one uh, related to this. If your mind becomes steady like a rock and no longer shakes in a world where everything is shaking your mind will be your greatest friend and suffering will not come your way. If your mind becomes steady like a rock and no longer shakes in a world where everything is shaking, your mind will be your greatest friend and suffering will not come your way. So with the described equanimity, the, the mind that is equanimous as abundant, exalted, immeasurable, without hostility and without ill will. So it's a very mature quality. You know, there's a, a stillness to it, there's a steadiness to it, uh, yeah, sometimes it can even seem like, oh, there's n- it's like a nothingness, but it's actually not a nothingness. You know, it's the, the stable, mature holding of all that is, minus this sense of ourselves being in the middle of it as the sort of main event actor. So with each of these different... Uh, states there's uh, the near enemy right so like with compassion it was pity this like could seem like that but it's not that you know there's a separation so with equanimity it's interesting the near enemy is indifference so with indifference it feels like oh i'm cool with everything everything is good but you're disconnected you know you, you don't actually care so the difference with equanimity is it's a sense of being connected like being Uh, plugged in, like caring about what's happening and understanding it to be just as it is. So having some, basically like, in colloquial terms, a fundamental okayness with whatever it is that's going on. So this is there in many of the different dharma lists, aside from the Brahma Viharas, also in the Factors of Enlightenment, it's uh, the fourth of the Jonic states, concentration states, is uh, mature, maturation of uh, an absorption and equanimity. It's in the, the paramitas, the perfections. So many, many different aspects of this. And one of the ways in which it, it works with these other brahmaviharas Viharas is like with metta, we can be wishing well for someone and then it can easily veer into like, oh, I, really want you to, yeah, I really want you to be well and we're kind of leaning a little bit into it. So that's, of course, the little bit of attachment coming in. And it could either be the, like, I wish well for you and I know exactly what you should do to get to that place, right? <laughs> so that could mean it's like, right, it's not up to me. You know. Or with compassion, like, instead of falling into some despair or grief or something, it's like, yeah, I can feel compassion, I understand, this is the way of the world, you know? Old age, sickness, death, gain, loss, of this, right? And still I can feel uh, with you, too. With joy, it will keep it from getting the over-exuberant. It's like I'm happy for your happiness, and also understand it in the context of the changing world of different circumstances, not in our control. So it can be very difficult, particularly with the ones who we love the most, to have this state of equanimity or particularly with ourselves, to have this equanimity. So, for example, uh, it's really hard for parents to have a relationship of equanimity with kids, their own kids. Like, you love them, and you care about them, and you want them to do the right thing, and you want them to not get in trouble, and, you know, you want them to uh, stay safe. And maybe when they're really little, you can kind of pick them up and move them a little bit. But uh, they often move back to what they were doing, right? Uh, but pretty soon you can't really move them anymore, right? <laughs> and they're moving on their own, like quite quickly. And uh, we have to uh, understand that, like, they're actually making their own choices. You know, even from a very young age, like, they're making their own choices, and then those choices affect their lives. And as much as we can love them and guide them and advise them, and all of that, they're really doing their own thing. It becomes more clear when they become teenagers, of course, Then it's like they might even do the opposite of what you advise them, right? But it's this understanding that all beings are on their own journey in some ways, including ourselves, you know. And you could reflect even with your own life that maybe when you were young, there were adults who tried to tell you, oh, you should do this, you should take up this job, or you should cut your hair like this, or you should eat this, or don't go to this place, or, you know. And essentially, you did what you were going to do anyway, right? (laughs) So, we all make our choices, and then we reap the results of those. So, teaching of equanimity is also very much grounded in the teachings about (laughs) karma, about cause and effect, which is an aspect of right view. So with karma it's that the intentions behind our actions, the intentions which are wholesome intentions or unwholesome intentions, skillful, unskillful, are that which plant the seeds that can lead to positive or negative results in the future. Both in terms of the cultivation of our own mind stream, so that's why here in the metta practice we're actually planting the seeds each time with each intention for metta to arise. And every time that we abandon anger, jealousy, something like that, don't fuel that on, right? We're letting go of continuing that stream along. So that one can be, you know, harder to grasp depending on your sense of understanding about, uh, the law of karma, but um, it's there as part of the, the understanding of equanimity, sort of the bigger picture kind of thing. So in the, in the way of uh, practicing equanimity, there are many different um, phrases that can be used, in a similar way that there is with metta, compassion. Uh, and I think there's kind of the widest range of possibility within this particular Brahmavihara. In any case, we start where it's easiest with, interestingly with equanimity, it's actually the neutral person. So it's kind of easiest for us to be equanimous about what's going on for the neutral person because we don't have as much attachment to them. So the dear one or ourselves, you know, we might be more attached to like good things happening, bad things happening the difficult person, you also might be attached to bad things happening. (laughs) So a neutral person, you can kind of accept, like, oh yeah, they're on their own journey and they have some story and some good things happen, some bad things happen, and, you know, they're making their choices and then their life is playing out in some way. So it can be a bit easier for us to hold that perspective with someone that we don't know, you know. So the classical phrase uh, for equanimity related to karma, um, and we have put that up on the sampa on the board too, so you don't have to um, necessarily write it down now, is uh, all beings are heir to their own karma. Or if you're saying to one person, right, so it's like, you are heir to your own karma. Your happiness and unhappiness depends upon your actions, not solely on my wishes for you. It's a sobering thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, you are heir to your own karma. And there's, there are many times in the Dharma where it's like, they say things like this. It's like, oh, uh, that's the only thing you're heir to, you know? Like, you don't know if you're, you have relatives who have money. You think, oh, maybe they'll leave me some, but maybe they won't, right? <laughs> you build up a big bank account or some stu- you know, cars and stuff. And it's like, oh, maybe I'll have that in old age, but maybe they'll go away in some way. Maybe the stock market will crash or... Someone will steal the cars or something, but you are definitely heir to your own karma. (laughs) So if you want to have any influence on uh, possible future, it's like pay attention to your intentions and how you speak and how you act and uh, how we act with integrity right now. (coughs) So actually practice of sila is also supposed to be a big support for equanimity. So if we practice uh, living a life with uh, ethical behavior, then it inclines our mind to be more balanced. And probably many of you have seen this during the retreat. So in retreat is often a time when there's a sort of unspooling of different unskillful things we've done. Yeah, anyone can uh, relate to this? You remember things you've said that you might regret or like things you've done. Even sometimes very small things, seemingly, or something that um, was a long time ago when you are a kid, right? It, like it's not gone, you know. It comes back, and you feel the burn of that, like you feel the, the, uh, sting, the, the pain of having been out of alignment, out of harmony with the truth. So actually, on a side note, I'll say that from that um, is considered that the there's states of um, basically sort of having a conscience and having a sense of remorse for having done something unskillful are considered um, wholesome states. So it's different than guilt. Guilt is like a flagellation, like like I did this, I'm so bad. Right. So not that, but just being able to see clearly like, oh yeah, that was not a good thing to do and that had bad results that hurt someone or that hurt myself. Uh, so... Being able to really see that clearly and take that in can help us to take a stronger resolution, like, oh, I don't want to do that again, you know, because we understand that better. So, the trick is when that comes up, not to go too much into it, like in a, I'm bad, I did that, you know, but to feel that memory, feel the pain of that, and then let it go, but really allow yourself to feel it, right? Not push it away, but not overindulge it. So, a middle way with that. So easier ends to karma, if to sorry, to equanimity if karma is not really something that you um, relate to that much are some more kind of modern colloquial ways of saying it. So all beings are on their own journey or sort of you are on your own journey. Right. Or even easier, simpler, is just things are just as they are. That's probably the easiest, most succinct one. It's just things are as they are. Or can I accept this just as it is? So when the mind is like, struggling, struggling, want something else to happen, different weather, different what, whatever, mind state, physical experience, like, oh, may I accept things as they are? Or just, things are as they are. So some of the 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 ability to develop equanimity can be done in the similar practice to how we've done sort of compassion or metta through using a person, and you know we'll do that a little bit. Another one, if it comes up in your regular kind of life, is to um, get a big bigger lens in some ways. So there's there's two aspects of dharma practice that can be very helpful. So those who have practiced vipassana, you are familiar with. Um, kind of going microscopic. So there's something that happens and it's like, oh, let's see exactly what this is like through direct experience with, like, what's, this is a thought, this is a body sensation, right? So you, like, break it down from this story of this is happening to me to, like, oh, what's actually happening in the sixth sense doors right now, right? So that can develop some kind of equanimity and as can kind of going wide angle. And there's a bit more of a reflective practice, so basically whatever difficult thing is happening to you uh, has happened to someone else in the past. In fact, probably millions of people. And is probably happening to millions of people right now. So in some ways I like to reflect on this. It's like we're all part of some kind of fellowship of something. You know? So right now I'm part of the fellowship of like sweaty Dharma teachers. <laughs> it's like... It's too hot, I'm sweating, I'm still teaching, right? (laughs) Or, uh, you know, you break your your leg and it's like, oh, now I'm the fellowship of people with broken legs. right? So rather than just being like, me and my broken leg, and why me, and it's terrible, you know, it's like, oh, look. There's actually all these people and all these circumstances who have that. Or loneliness is a good one. You know, if you ever feel lonely, you can actually reflect, like, you know, I'm part of the fellowship of loneliness now. Given, think, like, oh yeah, there's probably, like, a kid somewhere who doesn't have people to eat lunch with, or there's someone in a home for the elderly who no one's visiting, or there's someone in prison who's lonely, or there's someone who's a soldier sent somewhere who's lonely. You know, there's all these people who are lonely. So, of course, then, like, you're in a bigger perspective, and suddenly you're not lonely, because you're part of this fellowship. So it's kind of taking us out of that story that's just like it's just me and everything else is all about me. You know, It's like seeing this, these conditions in the big picture of, of life as they move through and whatever it is that's there is just there for a moment and then it shifts again. Then it shifts again. Right? So holding that bigger expanse of space, of time, of circumstance can help to uh, see things just as they really are and also to bring some kind of peace and stability to the mind, too. So let's uh, try it for a little bit, the practice of equanimity. So you can take a comfortable posture, as we do for all of these practices. And equanimity is the stability of mind, but there also might be sometimes the opposite coming up, the reactivity of mind. So you can just check in and notice state of the mind at the moment you can connect with your breath your body You can begin by bringing to mind your neutral person. Haven't seen them since yesterday maybe. They're back. You can pick a different one if you want. But it's good the one that you worked with. You can have an image of them. And just allow yourself to connect with their life as much as you know. So even though you may not know that much about them, you can just reflect that they themselves have had some story in their life. Some set of circumstances from birth. (coughs) They're born into some family that had a certain amount of people in it, certain kind of dwelling. Maybe they were alone their family had certain kind of language and education and money pets they were born with certain level of health or sickness certain physical strengths and certain challenges and then as their life has go along they have found themselves subject to good things happening to them, difficult things happening to them. Maybe falling in love, maybe having their heart broken, maybe having hopes and dreams, some of which come true and some of which don't They've been making different choices and then those choices have led to certain results in their life. So things are unfolding according to a lawful nature, whether or not we understand it. and reflect or even imagine yourself connecting with their lives and thinking, yes, this is how it is for you right now. Things are just as they are. All beings are on their own journey of life and death. So with deep compassion and kindness we can feel that things are unfolding in their life according to their own karma. It's not in our control. You can notice how it feels in your heart as you are reflecting on this, expressing this. And you can also see yeah, this is how it is in my own heart right now. See if you can know that with some clarity and acceptance. feel like you can call to mind a different person. So it could be someone in the friend category, maybe a good one to pick next. So the friend we have somewhat more connection to, knowledge of, perhaps even somewhat more attachment to what they do. But we can reflect also that They also meet their own joys and sorrows according to the lawful nature of their life. We can wish well for them, we can be with them when they suffer, but their life and their happiness and unhappiness is not under our control. Things are just as they are for you. May you be at ease with the circumstance of your life. No matter what my wishes are, things are as they are in your life. May you accept your circumstances with ease. And if you like, you can try and shift the sense of equanimity towards yourself. So in this case, bringing yourself to mind and you can allow yourself to connect with some aspect of your life that may be a little difficult for you. So it could be related to the worldly experiences of praise, blame, pleasure, and pain, happiness, sorrow, gain, loss, health, sickness, birth, or death. See if you can hold yourself with these circumstances in a vast space. So it could be a space as big as the sky. Great spaciousness with all these things that are happening. May I accept how it is in my life right now with balance, clarity, and kindness. May I accept where I am on my journey. Whether I understand it or not, Things are unfolding according to a lawful nature. I am heir to my karma. my happiness and unhappiness depends upon my actions not solely on my wishes so you can pick a phrase if there's a phrase among all those that works for you well may I accept this just as it is Things are just as they are. You can just try to connect with the meaning of that with as much sincerity as you can. Things are just as they are. May I accept this just as it is. And as we shift towards closing, you can expand your equanimity subjects to include perhaps all of us in this room. You could imagine holding us all in your heart. All of those of us who have been practicing together this week. Everyone coming here with different stories, different experiences different joys and sorrows. You are one of them. May we all be at ease with the conditions of our life. May we rest with a heart of balance. So the goal of this practice is to help us to connect with equanimity and to bring balance to our own heart and mind. In some ways, there are so many different phrases, but for different of your subjects, it might be that one of them resonates more than the other. So, uh, it might be easier to say, things are unfolding according to a lawful nature for someone else, but it might be for yourself, The one of like, things are just as they are, or may I accept the circumstance of my life with ease? May I have balance with changing circumstances? You know, whatever it is that helps or works. It can be also a concentration practice, so if you choose even just one of those phrases that feels particularly uh, resonant, and then kind of just drop that in periodically, trying to stay connected to your subject, um, that's how you can do it as more practice of collectedness, right? and then just like with metta or compassion, there's a whole interesting uh, span of learning that can happen around, like, well, what is, you know, what is compassion versus pity, right? So you can notice what is equanimity versus indifference, and versus the opposite, which is like a reactivity. And like with all these practices, also it is still purification practice. So what that means, you know, kind of like James was saying with the Ajax bubbles and all this, is that uh, as we practice this, it often kicks up the opposite, it seems. Or it highlights the opposite, so we can see the non-equanimity, the non-instability of mind. So then just be with that while it's there, be with whatever chaos seems to be unfolding, right? Uh, and then just come back again. So in that we're actually practicing some equanimity with the movements of mind uh, as we're doing equanimity practice too. So when, uh, I'll open for a few questions too but I'll answer before this one FAQ among particularly activist people which is like, what do you mean accept the circumstances of my life? <laughs> <laughs> Things need to change. There's so much that needs to be carried so, uh, yes, completely sympathize with that perspective. And even as someone who's dedicated to social change or even changing something happening in a particular relationship that is messed up, the best place to start from changing it is by seeing how it is right now. Right? So seeing clearly in, with really just as much objectivity as you can, like what's the story right now? Like there is terrible racism, or there is environmental injustice going on, or uh, this person is mistreating me, or whatever. Right. So oftentimes there's a lot of energy spent being like, "No, it's not like that," you know, or like there's sort of a lot of frictional energy that goes to denying how it is, or like resisting how it is. That could be spent if you're just like, "Okay, this is how it is, and it needs to change." So understanding how it is right now doesn't mean you don't take any steps to make something different happen, but it's sort of like, okay, let me at least just first see, like, okay, what's the story right here? So can I be at peace with that? It means like, not like, it's not like that, It's not. it shouldn't be like that, I don't want it to be, you know, it's like, okay, but it is like this, right? It is like this, and then it's like, okay, and what am I going to do about it? Right, next step. If that makes sense. So this, doesn't mean you have to like passively roll over and take anything it's not it's not that at all but as a first step can we be can we see clearly what's happening uh and can we if you see clearly what's happening then you can understand even all the conditions of it which then can help you to even address those conditions even more than if you spend a lot of energy like railing against the fact that it's happening in the first place all right Answer a few questions, and then whoever's doing the morning questions will answer all the rest of them, so, <laughs> yeah. What's the far enemy? The far enemy? The far enemy of, uh, so the near enemy is indifference, the far enemy is just reactivity, so keep being like knocked around by these winds of change. So, like, yay, something good's happening, oh no, something terrible is happening, you know, being like very, uh, the mind being unstable. Yeah. Yeah. So she. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a good addendum. So you know, like with all the practices, you can make the phrase your own. So she's suggesting um, to say, um, "May I accept what's happening right now?" Is that right? Yeah. So then that helps you to see, like, okay. It's just right now, and then I can change it. So, yeah, that's great. If that works for you, that's good. Yeah. Could you please list the 8 qualities again? Yeah, sure. Uh, They're traditionally um, gain and loss, praise and blame, pleasure and pain, and what's translated often as fame and disrepute. Yeah. It's really and sickness, oh, and sickness and those in those sort of the reflective thing is health, sickness, birth, death, yeah, all of that. Yeah. Expanding it out. Oh. Yeah so she's asking what about if something really big like mental illness or death then um where's the acceptance or wanting to change so you know death is a good one because it's like it's us wanting someone not to die or you know us being upset about them dying doesn't make them not die so this is more like oh okay can i be you know the understanding like the truth of how things are is understanding that like all of us as soon as we're born are subject to dying right um, and it's really hard, you know, it's very hard for us to accept that, particularly for our loved ones. That's why we actually start with a neutral person, because with a neutral person, you can be like, yes, I understand they're going to die, you know. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> because, you know, you don't see them that much, or it's like, you know, right. Uh, so this is actually exactly where it's helpful for us to have these practices, is with the really hard things, you know, like sickness and death and things like that, Um because we're subject to them and they're not under our control, you know. So, about like mental illness, where you might have the agency to change something, then, like, um, how do you relate to that with equanimity? So, this is kind of a question about accepting versus changing something. Is that right? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, in some ways, then it's like, yeah, it's confusing a bit. Accepting, like, okay, so what is actually happening? You know, what is the experience for yourself of what is happening right now, right? Uh, And then, in some ways, sort of the label of that, or whether, what are, you can do or not do about it is a little separate from that, but it's like, okay, can I face what is actually happening right now? Uh, so the one that I've talked about, like, you know, this there's sort of what's happening and then there's our reaction to what's happening. And particularly with things like sickness and death and old age, it's like, oh, it's hard enough in life that we're subject to that and that we don't have control over that. Old age, sickness, death. But then that's sort of like the first arrow it said, right? And then the second arrow that we shoot is our own mental proliferation around that. It's like, oh, it shouldn't be like this. I don't want it to be like this. Why me? Can I make it not be, you know, all this stuff, right? So in some ways, this equanimity is trying to prevent us from shooting that second arrow and just seeing it as it is. And it includes with sickness, yeah, like sometimes whether physical or mental, like, yeah, we can take medicine, we can do treatment, you know, there's possibilities uh, of that too. But while we're sort of in denial about something, then it's hard to address it, you know. So equanimity is sort of seeing clearly in the moment, like, okay, this seems to be what's happening. So then, okay, what's next? Yes, right. So yeah, aversion is non-equanimity. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. As is grasping, yes. (laughs) Grasping, aversion, yeah. So if you want to keep it simple as possible, you can use the phrase, things are as they are, Or may I accept things just as they are right now? Or just like, may I be at ease with the conditions of my life? So if something's happening and you notice yourself like railing against it and stuff, you can just even be like, okay, may I be at ease with this? Play with it. Play with it a little bit. So I have to let you go. Thank you for your attention. This is a, a deep one, so continue to explore it.